This is Truth, Justice, and Hope, the podcast that explores the modern era of Superman comics from a humanist perspective and examines real life through the lens of a Superman fan. I'm Grant Richter, and this is episode 74. Truth and justice, my friends, and welcome back to the show. This episode, we will be talking about the finales of both the Oz Effect story arc from Action Comics and the Equilibrium story arc from New Superman. But before we get to both of those issues, I have, as always, some thoughts from here at the Fortress of Solitude. Now, if you have been with me for some time, you will probably remember that one of my favorite supporting elements of the Superman mythos is Lois Lane. I think Lois is great in most interpretations. I prefer a universe where, where Clark and Lois are always together. It's one of the reasons I can't really get on board with the new universe continuity. Um, but beyond being... Clark's girlfriend slash fiance slash wife, depending on what point of continuity you're in, Lois is a character that stands out amazingly on her own, especially when she's highlighted as being you know, arguably the best reporter in the DC universe. Um, when it comes to 90s story arcs after Reign of the Superman, they're kind of hit or miss for me. But one of the ones that I really like is the Fall of Metropolis story arc because it, it, it's not just about Lex wreaking havoc on Metropolis because his own clone body is falling apart and he's going to take the city down with him. But it's the culmination of Lois's investigation into the murder of... Or, well, what starts out as Lois investigating the disappearance of Lex's uh, martial arts instructor, which Lex murdered, by the way, if you've been following the Patreon, you may be you know, up to speed on that if you're not super familiar with that particular storyline. Um, but I really like that. Um, and Greg Rucka put out an amazing Lois Lane miniseries a few years ago that's all about Lois investigating a political conspiracy and how it ties into some really cool stuff. And it's got Renee Montoya as the question in it. And it's an amazing art. So Lois is at her best, in my opinion, when she has all of her investigative engines firing. And it's kind of the, the investigating power of the news media that I want to talk about, and specifically one particular story that has been in the news lately, and how this story has blown up beyond my initial expectations anyway. You might have heard about this story if you keep up with the news like I do. It's out of Kansas, 
and it's where this small town newspaper in Marion County, Kansas, had its offices raided by local law enforcement um, on a, a judge's order. And they had like all their computers seized and their phones seized and their records, you know, all this stuff, just everything was snatched up out of the office, which is against the law, by the way, if you're not familiar, it is, it is not proper legal practice to seize um, news media materials. The proper procedure is to subpoena them and then give them paper time to turn them over of their own accord. And if they don't comply with the subpoena, then, you know, the judge holds them in contempt and then fines them or puts, you know, somebody in, in jail until they cooperate. But it is not, it is not legitimate to raid their office. And so, and it's all about, or what started with this paper's investigation into a local restaurant owner and the fact that this restaurant owner has a couple DUIs on her history which would preclude her from getting a liquor license and the fact that she was trying to circumvent the system to get her liquor license anyway and she went to the local sheriff and accused them of obtaining her her records by illegal means and then according to the local sheriff or the local chief of police um, they acted on that information to get the the warrant to the seizure warrant and that's where I mostly thought this story was just going to predominantly end. You know, the papers, of course, suing the judge and suing the, suing the local police department and all that. And I figured, okay, well, this is police not really you know, following the procedure of the law and acting on bad information and the judge overstepping her boundaries. And I didn't think it would go anywhere else but this. But boy, was I wrong. Now, this story is fascinating to me. And don't get me wrong, I am not a fan of conspiracy theories because that leads you down some insane rabbit holes. And a lot of people who believe in conspiracy theories, they believe them to the extent where no matter what information you present to them, they take it as evidence to support the conspiracy, even though it you know disproves it. So this is not a conspiracy theory. This is, this is apparent evidence of an actual conspiracy in this small town because after the story went national, other uh, larger media organizations, news media organizations began investigating this situation on their own. So it was, you know, it's outside of this judge's purview. It's outside of this law enforcement officer's purview. And it's very interesting and people wanted to know more. And so what was found out is that the chief who took out the warrant to, to raid this newspaper's office was under investigation by this newspaper for sexual misconduct. And not only that, the judge who, who signed the warrant um, before she became a magistrate judge when she was an attorney in another county had a history of duis herself which would have also precluded her from becoming a magistrate judge but she left that information off of her application and not only that the paper trail the physical paper trail in the county in this marion county 
uh, not not Marion County, but this next county over shows the paperwork. There's the citation. There's the arrest record. There's all the, you know. There's the court documentation. But when you when you get arrested for some for a for most offenses, you get fingerprinted for them, and those charges then get sent to both your state's crime information center and the national crime information center. All of her, all of this judge's, this current judge's information has been deleted from both the NCIC and the state database, and which would have to have been done by a high-ranking law enforcement officer with administrative access. And <laughs> so this is this is fascinating to me. Now, a, a side note of this is the police officer who arrested this lady who is now a judge on her DUIs is now a representative in the Kansas state legislature that probably doesn't have anything to do with it, but it is an interesting side note. And so I, I love how this story has blossomed and it makes me feel like someone reading the gossip, you know, the, the gossip rags at the, at the supermarket checkout aisle. It's like, Ooh, this is juicy, but it is a fascinating story. And I love the fact that investigative reporting has uncovered all this. It's such a Lois Lane moment. It's so really cool. I am watching this story with rapt attention, just waiting to find out more about it. And it's, I'm, I am, I don't know. I don't want to say I'm certain, but it'll be interesting to see if more things come of it. If, other like state law enforcement agencies get involved in beginning doing their own investigations. But again, that takes back to a topic I brought up over and over and over again in the Fortress of Solitude segments is the power of the truth. When the truth comes out, things get done and the truth itself wants to be kept, wants to come out. Metaphorically speaking, the truth the truth does not like to be kept in the dark. It wants to, to be known. It's kind of like the saying that the universe leans towards justice. Well, truth leans towards being known by, by the rest of the universe. And that, again, is when good things get done. And I know that's kind of a weird topic for this section, but again, it's just something that completely fascinated me that I wanted to share with you guys. And that is all I have to talk about regarding regarding this topic. I don't know if I'll be coming back around to it. If more things come back up, I will bring it back up here. But for now, let's go talk about Superman. Okay, up first in our comic book journey, this episode is Action Comics number 991. Cover dated November 8th, 2017. Let me get you guys the credits on this one. It is written by Dan Jurgens with pencils by Victor Bogdanovic. Bogdanovic himself, as well as Trevor Scott and Scott Hanna, are responsible for the inks. Mike Spencer did the colors, and Rob Lee did the letters. Nick Bradshaw and Brad Anderson did the main cover, and Yannick Paquette and Nathan Fairburn did the variant. Now, the, I really like the composition of the main cover. It is of 
Superman busting out of a chain of, of, of kryptonite links, a kryptonite chain um, as a kind of an homage to the 1970, 1971 issue of Superman that began the Kryptonite No More story arc. And then uh, behind Superman is Jor-El kind of writ large and he's holding his hand out and it's like Superman is symbolically in his hand. It's again, it's a really good composition of a cover, but the way Superman looks is odd. I don't, I can't exactly put my finger on, on what it is about it. Superman looks a little too much like an action figure in this cover for me. I think maybe his, just his torso is a little too broad and his, maybe his legs are a little too short. I don't know. But again, it's really cool composition. I, I do not like the, the variant. Superman is not on it. The Superman symbol is writ large in the background and in front of it, are Wonder Woman and Batman as drawn by Yannick Paquette to look like Gal Gadot and Ben Affleck in those respective roles. Um, and then in the very bottom corner is a, um, is a reminder that the Joss Whedon uh, Justice League movie would be coming out later that month. Um, it's fine. I, I really don't like it when comic book artists go like so far out of the way to make uh make characters look like actual real life people um it's just i just don't like it it's, it's just not my favorite thing ever plus i just don't i just don't like the the justice league movie very much now the they um the Zack snyder's justice league is is okay but it's just not something I'd really want to watch over and over again. Now, in this story so far, Superman learned that the mysterious Mr. Oz, who has been helping him slash hounding him since the relaunch of this series in 2015, um, is in fact his father, Jor-El, who was saved from the destruction of Krypton by a mysterious outside force. Um, Jor-El was forced to experience some of the worst examples that humanity has to offer and has become convinced that not only is uh, Earth not worth Superman protecting it, but something is coming to Earth that will destroy it, that will destroy the reality itself and that Superman will not be able to stop it, and that both Superman and the rest of his family will be killed. Jor-El has introduced himself to John, and John has become convinced that Clark needs to at least listen to what Jor-El has to say. Also, as part of his machinations to convince Clark to leave Earth, Jor-El has created this organization under the guise of Mr. Oz, of cult-like followers whose entire mission it is to spread chaos, to bring out the worst in people, to give Jor-El's examples, to show Superman why humans don't deserve to be saved. Now, as we open, 
uh, Lois, Clark, John, and Jor-El are, I believe, on top of the Daily Planet building with Jor-El and Superman facing off with John push, pushing himself between the two of them. Um, Bogdanovic, like he did last issue, has worked the title into the background with the Oz effect being um, shown in large neon letters on buildings in the background. It's really good. Um, again, I with, with one very glaring exception that I've talked about in the last two episodes, and I'll reiterate here, um, I, for the most part, like Bogdanovic's artwork on this arc. It is pretty good. Um, and I also like the narration that Jurgens writes for Clark's... Wow. Big old thunderclap out there. Didn't startle me this time. Haha, <laughs> I'm like a big boy. <laughs> but um, I like Clark's narration saying, I never knew my father. I was a baby when he put me in a rocket and set me far away from the doomed planet of Krypton. He died. My world died. This man before me, this Mr. Oz, claims... Dang. More thunder claims to be that very same father who saved me all those years ago. Is he a fraud, a liar, or is he telling the truth? Now, uh, what matter is now that my son believes him, which means I have to get this man the hell away from John. And again, John is pushing himself between Clark and Jor-El, saying, "You got to listen to Granddad. He says we have to leave Earth. Everyone on it's gonna die." Uh, Clark is very disturbed that John referred to Jor-El as granddad. Jor-El is very smug about it. He's like, well, he is a smart boy. Superman gets even angrier, says you have no right to talk to him. But Lois steps in, calms things down about it, and says, look, if there's any chance that he's your dad, you need to at least listen to him, you know, whether you follow his advice or not. Which is when uh, Superman informs Lois that Jor-El has, is behind the attacks around earth for the past several days and um he says mr oz is responsible for the world's chaos um but then jor-el says i'm not responsible for today's atrocities or the nightmare to come cal i position people in situations where they were given a choice between good and evil evil one which is why earth's fate is sealed which is kind of like taking a starving person putting food in front of them and saying, don't eat that food. Eating that food is bad. And then saying, well, they, the starving person ate that food and I told them they were bad for eating it and they ate it. That makes them a bad person. So Jor-El has really set up this kind of self-perpetuating uh, chaos. That is, he, he's made situations untenable to where people are almost forced to act on their worst instincts. But Dorel says, look, I, I can't explain this to you. I just have to show it to you. And so he takes this glaive that he's been carrying around since Mr. Oz was first introduced. And he grabs Clark with one hand and he strikes the butt of the glaive on the ground with the other. And Jor-El and Superman disappear in a cloud of pink energy. And they appear above this kind of monolithic structure out in this limbo-like dimension. It, it kind of reminds me of Dr. Fate's tower, where it's a rectangular. Um, you can tell where like all four sides of it were leaning up to a point, but it looks like the top was broken off. It's sitting on a hill. 
there's all these dead trees in the background and what looks like gravestones in front of it. So it's very creepy looking. And we saw this during the, um, during the scenes of, um, oh goodness, uh, Superman Reborn, that this is where Mixus Pitlick was being kept. And I have criticized this arc so far about as far as how would Jor-El get the power to capture a fifth dimensional being like Mixie? That is somewhat addressed here. So let's keep going. So the two of them fly down. Um, they go into the structure. Um, meanwhile, they're still arguing. Jor-El's like, look, you've got to leave Earth. This bad thing's going to happen. And Superman says, if Earth really is in danger, and you really, if you really are my father and you really have been watching me this whole time, you know there's no way I'm going to abandon Earth to leave it to its fate just to save myself. And um, Dorel says, do so and you will die. Your wife and child will die. I've had enough of your refusal to accept the truth. And if you won't act to save yourself and your family, I will. And as he speaks, a bolt of energy uh, streaks out of his glaive and hits Superman, which sends him flying through the wall of the base of the tower. And Superman thinks to himself, some bad guys always have, uh, no, excuse me, bad guys always have some demented explanation for why they do wrong. Most times they're hollow excuses. None of them really believe what they're saying. This is different. He seems certain in all of this. Jor-El says, look, I'm trying, you need to stop fighting me. I'm trying to help you. Um, Superman demands to know why the Mr. Oz raid, why not just come to him? And Jor-El says that Mr. Oz was the instrument that I needed to use to show, to prove to you that Earth isn't worth saving. So they fight for a bit and um, Superman sends Jor-El slamming through a wall. He follows Jor-El through the hole in the wall and he finds himself in the cell that Mixus Pitlick was in uh, that was revealed during Superman Reborn. And we see where Mixus Pitlick has carved Superman save me please over and over and over in the walls and floor of his cell. Um, and this is where Superman realizes that Jor-El, Mr. Oz, was... Mixie's jailer this whole time. Jor-El says, I've been saying it all along, Cal. I'm here to save you, yet you don't appreciate it. At which point, now first I should back up and kind of explain Jor-El's appearance to you if you haven't read this and this is your first time tuning in on this story arc. When Krypton exploded, Jor-El was snatched away, teleported away at the moment that the planet was exploding and a piece of kryptonite lodged itself in his eye socket. And when he landed on earth, the, the villagers that found him, they hit him. They pulled the kryptonite out of his eye socket. His eye was gone. Um, he wasn't dying of kryptonite poisoning, but it scarred the area where his eye used to be green. Now Jor-El's eye socket glows green and it shoots a beam of kryptonite energy at Superman. And Jor-El says, rather than let it kill me as it should have, I've been able to, con I've evolved 
no, excuse me, he says, I've been evolved to control it. So again, this outside force is, is manipulating Jor-El in some way. Um, Superman fights back. He uses his heat vision. He blasts another hole in the wall, which is where he learns that when he thought he transported Doomsday to the Phantom Zone at the end of the first story arc, of this uh, relaunch series that Jor-El had actually snatched him away and hidden him in this tower. Superman asks how that's possible, and Jor-El says, I'm the one who discovered the Phantom Zone, intercepting the projector's beam to bring him here with simplicity itself. Now, that does make sense. That is a technology thing. It, I, I totally buy that. So far, we're not too... <laughs> an explanation of how he was able to imprison Mixus Pidlick, but I think we are getting there. Um, so they continue to debate, uh, but Jor-El is having none of it, and he blasts Superman with the kryptonite beam from his eyes again. He says, I don't like doing this, but I know it's coming, Cal. It's so much bigger, so much more powerful than you. I can save you if you let me. But then Superman slowly stands up and says, who is going to save me from you? At which point Jor-El looks startled. And Superman goes on to say, Kryptonite, the single most lethal weapon in existence is yours to command, and yet you use it against your own flesh and blood. He flies towards Jor-El. He grabs his glaive and snaps the haft in two. Jor-El falls down and begins shouting in pain. And the, the energy from the glaive kind of flares up, but then fizzles out. And we see all these images in the background. Not only, Jor-El has this big bank of monitors that make up the wall of this, of this tower. We have images of Lois and John and of an Oz agent who convinced a suicide bomber to attack the Daily Planet offices. And then we see all these different kind of masked troopers of Mr. Oz's. And Superman says, the energy surrounding the staff is toxic. I felt it from the moment I met you. But the real question is, were you controlling it or was it controlling you? And um, Jor-El, kneeling on the ground in pain, begins to say, the kryptonite, after the explosion lodged in my skull, the staff relieved the pain and more. But it made me, he made me, I never meant to hurt anyone. I'm sick, son. So there is a very thin implication here that the power imbued in the staff is what let, I, I, could, I could maybe see the teleportation as technology because this is comic books. We see teleportation technology all the time. But I think it's implied that the power that's imbued in the staff was what let Jor-El imprison Mixus Pitlick, gave him the power to, to imprison a fifth dimensional imp. Now, I have finished reading this, episode, this issue, obviously. I have read the one beyond this. After that, there's only one more story arc in the Jurgens run. It's the booster shot story arc. And then there's a, there's, there's this, there's kind of a transitional issue, 
there's booster shot, and then there's one standalone. After which point, we get the Action Comics 1000 and the Bendis run. In this story arc, unless it's explained in booster shot, because it's the only part of this series I haven't read yet, I skipped the booster arc when I read through the series the first time, or went through the Jurgens run the first time. It's, I don't think it's ever overtly stated as to who saved Dorel, who evolved him to be able to shoot kryptonite energy, who gave him this staff imbued with apparently re-altering, reality-altering power. But we do know that Doomsday Clock starts later this publication month, November 2017. It runs for a long time because there's a lot of gaps between the, the issues. And spoilers, but Mr. M Dr. Manhattan's coming. And we saw in the issue where Jor-El is plucked away from the destruction of Krypton, that he disappeared in a, a vortex of blue energy, the same hue as Dr. Manhattan's skin or aura or whatever you want to call it. So I think the implication, especially because they've been, they've been advertising the heck out of Doomsday Clock in these issues coming up to it, that Dr. Manhattan is supposed to be behind all this because we will find out quite a bit about the interest that Dr. Manhattan takes in Superman when we get to Doomsday Clock, or when we get to those issues of Doomsday Clock. But I don't think it is ever overtly stated in this series itself. So um, Superman looks very shocked. He, he is now realizing that his, his father is just kind of like a sad, scared older man who is now in a lot of pains. Um, and so he says to him, he says to Jor-El, maybe there's something in the fortress, the recovery suit, something we can use. Um, he's thinking, I never knew my father. He died saving me from a doomed world. It was a tragedy he tried to prevent, but his own people wouldn't let him, wouldn't listen. People let my father down. They let themselves down. And my father was the only one who could see it. Jor-El says, to Superman, stay back, Cal, or you'll be affected too. The sickness, what it did to me, everything I experienced, I'm the one who's sorry, Cal. I know the ideals you represent, what you mean to your world. And Superman helps Dorel to his feet and hugs him and says, I won't let you die. And then, like I said, this, this chamber of Jor-El's fortress has this giant wall of monitors. And so we see Superman hugging Jor-El but it's also projected on the monitors behind him. And he says, I won't let you die, father. But then Jor-El pushes himself away from Superman and says, no, he's coming, I can feel it. Find Lois and John, and John, fight for them, save them. And then Jor-El disappears in that same vortex of blue energy. He's being pulled in like a whirlpool and he's reaching out to Superman. He says, he's taking me. Just remember that I love you, Cal. I always have. And I always will. Superman says, I won't let you have him. I won't let you take my father. But then Jor-El disappears. And we just see Superman standing in front of this giant wall of monitors, all of which is just 
showing this blue, this blank blue vortex where Superman's holding the top half of the glaive, the part with the blade on it. Superman's demand demands to know who's doing this. He shouts, who are you? Um, but then the energy overwhelms him and he finds himself back at the Fortress of Solitude, standing in front of the statue of Jor-El and Lara holding up the globe of Krypton. And he, he thinks to himself, if the, if the being that's out there can send me easily here, he's as powerful and dangerous as Jor-El says. He took my father from the brink of death, broke him, twisted him, made it seem, somehow made it seem right to show me man at his worst. But what if he's right? Are we as lost as he says? Uh, Superman leaves the fortress. He flies back to Metropolis. He lands on the roof with Lois and John. He tells John he's sorry. He tried to stop it, but Jor-El has been taken. John asks why Superman couldn't stop him. And Clark says, he's out there somewhere, John. I, I will find him. I promise. Lois asks if Clark thinks that really was his father. Superman says, I'm saying he's a sick man warped by his past. He wanted me to see the world at, at its worst. If I arrived here and had an experience like his, would I see things the same way? But I think Earth is a world without hope. Um, Lois asks, but is he right? Are we, are we really doomed? Are we, um, are we as much as a threat at, as much at threat from our own? from Earth's own people as we are from outside forces. And when there's this shot, this full page splash, is Superman leaning on the, the outer wall of the, of the rooftop and just these like dozens of word balloons of Superman listening in on news broadcasts, things, things like suicide rate among veterans, police officer ambushed in their squad cars while responding to a call, hopefully immigrants Hopeful immigrants suffocated in a sweltering truck when it was abandoned. Police have reported shots and police reportedly shot an unarmed man, limiting a freedom of speech, racial conflict, and there's over and over and over and over and over. And he just looks down with his face shadowed with his hands on the wall. And um, he turns around and says, people are losing hope, Lois. And uh, he floats into the air and John asks, where are you going? And Superman says, just says, back to work. That is a really good end to this story arc. I've, I've criticized it so far. Um, and again, I've read this before, but it's been a couple of years. And I'm not reading ahead as I'm rereading it for the show. But I've criticized the arc so far about its depiction of Jor-El because I don't I don't like the idea of him as a bad guy but if he's been manipulated to feeling this way and if the the glaive which is infused with power which is keeping him alive was also twisting his mind I I like that a lot better now we'll see in the Bendis run that Jor-El is definitely not squeaky clean and um so I don't know <laughs> I think maybe uh, Jurgens set this up, walked it back, 
And then Bendis said, no, 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 no. There's no walking this back. We're going forward with it. And um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the booster shot story arc. But this isn't quite the end of Oz Effect. Next issue of Action Comics is the aftermath. And then that aftermath itself leads directly into Booster Shot. Uh, so we will talk about that next episode before we jump back over to the eponymous Superman title for a while. But that is it for the story arc. For the most part, that's it for the issue. Um, again, for the most part, I, I like Bogdanovic's art in this. Um, just to reiterate what I've said so far in the last couple of episodes i don't like the way he draws john i think for the tone of this story john looks weirdly cartoonish his head looks too big it makes him look silly again if this were a funnier story if this was a funny story at all that would work i just don't think when it comes to how bogdanovic draws kids the depiction of john fits some of the story but other than that pretty good so I am going to take a short recording break. It'll just be a few seconds for you guys, and I'll be right back, and we'll talk about the finale of the Equilibrium story arc in New Superman. Stay tuned. Okay, up next is New Superman number 17, and I have to apologize. At the beginning of the show, I referenced this as the finale of the Equilibrium arc. That was an error on my part. This is actually part three of four. This issue is cover dated um, also for November 8th of 2017, and it is written by Jean Luen Yang with pencils by Joe Lerich. Uh, yeah, L-A-L-I-C-H, Lalich, inks by Richard Friend and colors by Hi-Fi and letters by Dave Sharp, main cover by Philip Tan and Rain Laredo with variant cover by Bernard Chang. The main cover of this issue is of <laughs> kind of uh, Kong Kenan and Bai Shi, the Batman of China, flying away Kenan under his own power and Baishi clinging to his Robin bot as they are being pursued by the uh, the traditional Justice League. Superman, Wonder Woman, uh, The Flash, Aquaman, Cyborg, and both Jessica Cruz and Simon Baz, Green Lanterns. The variant is actually pretty funny. It's of Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman standing on like a rocky outcrop, like way up in the clouds. And Superman is holding an American flag for some reason, and Batman is just kind of scowling, and Wonder Woman's holding a sword in the air. Meanwhile, Kenan is sitting on the ground in front of them, looking at it, looking at his phone, and just kind of side-eyeing the reader and pointing at the reader like, yo. And it's it's pretty cute. So recently in this series, a lot has been going on. Uh, Kenan discovered that both his mother and father, who he believed dead at this point, were both alive. His father was operating under the alias of Flying Dragon General and was the leader of a group of what they referred to as freedom fighters, but were actually just mostly committing terrorist acts. 
and he and he died um, after he believed or Kenan believed that his father died after his father turned against his former associates. He believed that his mother died when he was very young in an airplane crash. He recently learned that his mother is actually the mysterious Dr. Omen, who is the head of China's Ministry of Self-Reliance, who gave Kenan his powers and uh, who is also kind of the organization behind the Justice League of China. And he learned that his father was actually alive and had, was being healed by Dr. Omen. Also, when a... <laughs> this is... This is one of my favorite things of all time to say. When a mythical Chinese sorcerer was infected by the doomsday virus and turned into a doomsday turtle kaiju to attack Shanghai, Dr. Omen released Kenan's pre predecessor, Superman Zero, who helped defeat the turtle kaiju. Instead of taking Superman Zero back into custody, however... Kenan let him go, which turned out to be a mistake because Superman Zero was then convinced by the chaotic twin of Kenan's mentor, Yi Ching, into trying to take over all of China as Emperor Superman. Emperor Superman was defeated by Suicide Squad, and Kenan has recently learned that I Ching's chaotic twin is called All Yang, and he wants Kenan to retrieve a mythical object called the Red Dragon something. <laughs> uh, Red Dragon MacGuffin, which will unlock all of Kenan's powers, at which point All Yang wants Kenan to become the new Emperor Superman, which is pretty much what gets us caught up to now, except for the fact that the Justice League of China has entered American airspace looking for the Red Dragon MacGuffin, um, and Bai Shi, again, that's the Batman of China, his bat utility vehicle transformed into a giant robot and attacked the traditional Justice League. So we open with this bat utility vehicle robot standing in the streets of Metropolis with a whole bunch of missiles poking out of its chest, staring down the Justice League. Um, it does not go well for the bat utility vehicle. It fires all of its missiles. Of course, the, between Wonder Woman and Superman and the Green Lanterns, all the missiles are taken care of. Uh, Baishi is trying to order his, his bat utility vehicle robot to stand down, but it's not listening to him. All it does is recognize the Justice League as a threat. Um, it turns a giant laser on the Justice League, at which point Superman gets tired of these shenanigans and just rips the side off of the Bat Utility vehicle. And he's not happy to see Kenan involved in these shenanigans. Superman and Kenan have met before, at least twice at this point. Once when a other dimensional entity was capturing different multiversal versions of Superman to fight some vague oncoming threat. And once when Superman helped Kenan fight off an army of demons because comics. So everybody calms down. 
and Baishi gets to meet the real Batman for the first time. And I've talked about this a lot before. One of the clever things this series does, it subverts the trope in comics where everything other than English is written in English, only it's done in brackets. Well, here, everything spoken in Chinese is written in English with traditional black letters. Everything that is supposed to be in English is written in blue letters. So I think that's that's kind of, that's very cute. That's very funny. Everyone on the Justice League of China speaks English except for Kenan. Uh, so, you know, Baishi, he's very smart. He, he, he learned English. Daylan, the Wonder Woman of China, she's also very smart. She's also, she's also an other dimensional being called Green Snake who used her chi to take on human form. Um, the Flash of China is Avery Ho, who is actually an American citizen. She just happens to know Mandarin Chinese. Um, and so everyone is kind of talking to their mentor. And, um, and Batman is giving Bai Shi a lot of tough love. He's, he's scolding him rather harshly, and understandably so, for Bai Shi taking equipment out into the field that hasn't been properly tested. He could have gotten himself killed. He could have gotten civilians killed. He could have gotten his teammates killed. But Bai Shi is taking it to heart because this, of course, is his hero. Daylan is introducing herself to Wonder Woman. Um, she tells Wonder Woman her real name is Green Snake. And Wonder Woman knows of Green Snake because she's friends with White Snake, who was Green Snake's friend back in like mythical other dimensional China dimension. Batman tells Bai Shi a story about how the first time he used his grappling hook and went through a civilian's car window. And he goes on to talk about how he has to, has to, he has to choose function over flashiness. He's, he's really got to be more careful. Um, Bai Shi asks if Batman will sign his cape. And uh, of course, Batman says no. Avery reintroduces herself to the Flash. This is the first time that Barry has met Avery in her superhero identity as the Flash of China. She's like, Barry, it's me. He's like, yeah, I know. Which is pretty funny. Aquaman's like, I can't wait to meet the Aquaman of China. And Avery's like, um, great. Uh, Simon Baz asked if, they, if there is a Green Lantern of China. And they say they're working on it. And I think that is something we'll see in upcoming uh, issues of the series. So Superman and Kenan have a heart-to-heart. -heart, and Kenan tells them everything that's going on with All Yang and how All Yang is one half of the yin-yang uh, equation with I Ching and that uh, All Yang claims to have imprisoned I Ching and the only way he'll let him go is if Kenan uh, finds the, the, red, the red jade dragon or as I call it the red dragon MacGuffin um, the Red Jade Dragon to to unlock his powers. That's the only way that All Yang will let I Ching go. He's like, look, I know it's here. I felt it. He took me to this. In the last issue, All Yang did this whole thing where he dis he disguised himself to look like Fu Manchu and took Kenan either on like a holographic illusion kind of thing 
to make it look like they were in 1930s Chinatown to show how Chinese American citizens uh, were being abused by, you know, uh, Anglo-Saxon white Americans and uh, and also how Europeans had, during the occupation of China, had killed a lot of people to steal a lot of valuable Chinese artifacts. And But Ken is like, look, he showed me the Red Jade Dragon in, in all he encountered described as a, as a pocket of time. He's like, look, I've, I'm, I encountered the Red Jade Dragon there. I, I felt it. I know it's real. I can feel it calling to me. I know it's somewhere nearby. Uh, meanwhile, the rest of the Justice League is helping clean up, clean up the mess of the Bat Utility Vehicle. Robin Bot hovers over to Kenan and says that the source of the energy is approximately 63.24 kilometers away. So Robin Bot has zeroed in on where the Red Jade Dragon probably is. Kenan says, look, I'm going to go find it. Superman decides to go along because um, Kenan is a Chinese national um, pretty much unauthorized on American soil. And, and ostensibly, Kenan is a representative of the Chinese government. Like, and Superman is like, look, this is an international incident waiting to happen. I'm, I'm going to come along to keep an eye on things. So they go the 23 point something kilometers away to a huge mansion out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, Robin Bot says the source of the energy is an object that is approximately point, uh, 0 0.35 meters wide, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it's located in a vault two floors below ground level. So Kenan hops the fence. One of the only powers, the only traditional Superman powers that Kenan has not unlocked yet is flight. Um, the way Kenan's powers work is that he was infused. <laughs> this is where it gets complicated. Before Superman Reborn, when New 52 Superman and pre-Flashpoint Superman were two separate people, New 52 Superman gave off this massive energy flare. And that energy was harnessed by the Ministry of Self-Reliance and Dr. Omen infused that energy into Kenan. And the way his powers work is kind of like Ultra Boy from Legion of Superheroes, where he can, at this point, he can direct that energy, which he thinks of as chi, to different parts of his body for different energy, for different superpowered effects. Um, his, his invulnerability is almost always on. And then you know, he's learned through channeling his chi to different parts of his body to do super strength, do super hearing, enhanced vision, uh, super breath, uh, I think heat vision. And so the only thing he hasn't unlocked at this point is flight. Now, where it gets complicated is that during the events of Superman Reborn, which you talked about months ago, New 52 Superman and pre-Flashpoint Superman their histories were merged. They're ostensibly the same person now. And pre-Flashpoint Superman never had that energy flare ability. So I'm, it's kind of left to the imagination how this still works. Um, my headcanon is that this 
version of Superman, this post-reborn Superman, used to have that ability, and it was a one-time thing. It's just something he can't ever do again. And that energy was harnessed to give Kenan his powers. But like I said, Kenan doesn't have his flight ability yet, so he hops the fence, and um, Kenan says, I'll use super speed, and I'll be real quiet. Whoever lives here won't even know us. But then Lex Luthor steps out of the bushes and says, oh, I sure I will. And uh, so Kenan has basically invaded Lex's sanctum. And Lex has all these security robots with him that are kind of roundish. They're, They're all purple. And they have kind of these roundish torsos with these dome like heads. They don't have any legs. They don't have any arms, but instead of arms and legs, they have what look like giant praying, t- praying mantis size. And so these things are definitely murder bots. And they have kind of a green and yellow L on their chest. Um, uh, Superman can speak Mandarin. Lex can speak Mandarin. So most of this dialogue is in black instead of blue. Um, Robin Bot goes on to say, Luthor possesses the West's largest private collection of Chin Dynasty treasures. The probability that any particular Chin artifact is in his possession is approximately 61.34%. And Lex is like, so you are trespassing on private property and trying to take my private property. And Kenan says, look, this isn't yours. This artifact belongs to China. It was stolen from China. Yeah, you have it. You bought it, but it doesn't belong to you. And Lex is like, well, property laws would argue. And Ken is like, look, I am not having any of this. I am taking this thing back. Uh, Lex kind of reiterates what I was saying a bit ago. He looks at Superman and says, does anyone else smell the making of an international incident? And Superman's like, Superman says, look, Lex is right. You can't just do this. There is a due process you have to go through. There are diplomatic channels. Um, but Kenan's not having it. He and Robin Bot start smashing the Lex security bots, and, and Kenan smashes his way into Lex's house. He blasts a hole in the floor with his heat vision. He jumps down into the, into the floor um, and he sees the red jade dragon on a pedestal in Lex's like display room, I guess. And the red jade dragon is this kind of diamond-shaped object uh, with a purple outline, red center, and this um, kind of Asian dragon design in the middle. And he and Kenna's dialogue says, "As soon as I pick it up, I lose track of where it ends, and I begin. The chi in me crackles and roars." It blazes through my body without effort, without thought. And then we have this image of Kenan holding the red jade dragon. And Kenan's S symbol is not in a diamond shape like Clark's. It's in an octagon. And the octagon represents the I Ching um, Bagua, which has eight sides. And each side has an I Ching trigram on it. And each trigram represents a part of the human body. And Kenan's S actually represents the direction his chi flows through his body so it doesn't go in a circle. It goes from kind of the upper right, you know, around in an S shape and down and back up. 
and it eventually all connects, but it doesn't go in a circle. It goes in an S-like pattern. And it shows um, all the different parts of the body and how the chi relates to a superpower. So I was thinking it would be trigram 1 through 8. It's actually trigram 0 through 7, which is interesting. And it says trigram 0 represents the, bell the belly in invulnerability. Trigram 1 is the fist and super strength. 2 is the ear and super hearing. 3 is the thighs and x-ray vision because the thighs have penetrating power and his vision lets him penetrate the object visually. Trigram 7 is the head and the power is a question mark. 6 is the mouth and cold breath. 5 is um, the eye and heat vision. And 4 is the foot and super speed. And of course, as soon as that happens and he unlocks the last trigram, which is the head, and then is now able to fly. So all his powers work at the same time now. I think, I think that's the implication that he doesn't have to focus on one power at a time anymore. And that they all work traditionally like Superman's powers do. Now outside, uh, Lex's robots are attacking Superman because they think they're supposed to. So Superman and Robin Bot are fighting off the robots. Lex tells them to back off. But before Superman can go in to get Kenan, this magical force field barrier appears over the house. And inside the house, down in the basement, Al Yang appears. Now, uh, I refer to Al Yang as, as I Ching's chaotic twin. I Ching looks like a diminutive Chinese man with white hair and black sunglasses and wearing a black um, like Tai Chi uniform. And Al Yang, he's completely chalk white from head to toe. His skin, his hair, his clothes, his sunglasses, he wears a bowler hat, he's completely all white. And that's because in the yin-yang, uh, yin is the black half and yang is the white half. And I know I've been calling him Al Yang, it should be Al Yang. That's my bad, that's my American brain pronouncing it you know, Americanized, which I shouldn't do. But he uh, he shows up, he claps, he tells Kenan that he's finally worthy of the Imperial Throne. Kenan's like, all right, look, I unlocked my powers, now tell, tell me where Yi Ching is. And uh, Young is just kind of taunting him. Kenan attacks, but Young easily holds him off and says, honestly, I thought it was obvious I sent him to the realm of ghosts. That's right, Kong Kenan. I killed him. Kenan unleashes his heat vision, which all young just kind of brushes off because young is is power, it's force. So all young is the embodiment of all forms of power. It kind of makes me think of like the with the infinity stones, the power stone, whatever power, whatever force, whatever strength, whatever whatever you need to repel an attack or to do an attack is yours. And so that, that is what Kenan is fighting against. Um, All Young kind of just releases this energy blast out of his head that, that pushes Kenan away. And Kenan asks, well, if you're so powerful, why do you need me or, or Superman Zero to be your emperor? And All Young says, I'm the principal of Young, Kenan. I cannot be confined to a single role, no matter how majestic. I need you to express me. 
You've always valued strength. I'm offering you the chance to become the strongest in existence. Accept my offer and you will rule over not just China, but of all human nations. You will exact justice from those who have bullied your people for centuries. And you will help me finally put the realm of humans in its proper place. And Kenan replies with something that I Ching had told him when Kenan first went to him for mentorship and said, to be strong, you must first learn to be weak, which I interpret as you must, you must be humble to have power. You, you, you don't, you learn humbleness before you gain power so that you don't use that power for nefarious means. And Aoyang is very disappointed. He holds the red jade dragon in both hands and a flame begins to bisect it and it shoots straight up and it straights down and Aoyang begins to pull it apart. And he says, you have convinced me it is impossible to restore order to the realm of humans, so I will have to destroy it. I am grateful to you for providing me the means, Kenan. For when you unlocked your final potential, you also unlocked the red jade dragon itself. It is a portal to another realm, the realm of the demigods. And when Kenan looks up, now there are three gigantic beings standing over him and all young and all three of them have all three of these beings have three faces one in the front and one on each side all of them have six arms and all of them are just radiating power like the one in the front is red and he has these huge tusks and he has this big gold headpiece the one and there's one kind of to the back that is green and there's another one to the back that's blue and these are just big awesome looking kind of uh traditional chinese art inspired almost demonic looking beings and that's pretty great now let me talk about the art in this one because i haven't mentioned it yet a couple of the the splash pages or one that's almost a splash page the one of kenan unlocking the power of the red jade dragon unlocking the power of all the I Ching trigrams in his bagua that one looks really cool like kenan's cape is flaring up behind him kind of mcfarland style he has his eyes closed and he's hold the red holding the red jade dragon in one hand and like the trigrams are surrounding the octagon of his Superman symbol, and then this the direction of the energy that is shaped like an S is overlapping Kenan's own S symbol. And that looks really cool. And the final splash page of the of the demigods you get forcing themselves into the human into the mortal realm. It looks really neat and their designs are, are cool and their and their armor is really neat. Like the blue one, it almost has kind of a technological look to it. It has kind of an, an Iron Man aspect to it. The one in the front, there's almost something kind of Aztec about its helmet. And the green one, there's almost something kind of um, like Hindu about its headdress. And all three of them have one set of arms pointing up, radiating energy. One set of arms pointing down, rolled into fists. And then the set in the middle doing kind of the, like the namaste in front of their chest. They all look really neat. With that said, most of the art in this is not to my liking. 
Um, this is a fill-in artist. And again, um, their name is Joe Lalich. And it's very sketchy, cartoony. Um, it, remi <sighs> it reminds me a lot of when my wife was going through college and my wife went to an art institute for um, computer art stuff and you'd walk around and all this this student art would be on display and it was really good but it was it really has kind of a student feel to it it reminds me a lot of art that i'll see on twitter that people will post or the app that formerly known as Twitter. Um, it's very sketchy, cartoony. For the most part, I'm not a fan. Um, the smaller the panels get, the I would say the less detail the artist is able to put into these panels and the less detail they use, the more... Um, and I, I hesitate to call it amateurs because I couldn't draw this good. And I'm, I'm no artist, um, but it doesn't look great in my opinion. And there are some things that look really cool. They have, they have some definite strong points. Like when Kenan, after Kenan unlocks the power of the Red Jade Dragon and he starts flying for the first time, again, we see his cape flare out. That looks really cool. Um, the designs of the Lex bots look really neat. There's a close-up. Every time there's a close-up of All Young, he looks really good. There's always some kind of energy floating, you know, like radiating out of him, and his skin has this, has this. I don't know. It's like it's an old man's skin texture, but at the same time, like really, really hard. Like you can tell this is a really tough-looking old man. But. Beyond that, I, I'm, I'm just not a fan of this artist overall. From what I can tell, looking ahead, Brett Peoples is going to be the primary artist on this series going forward, and I'm okay with that. I know I was a little harsh on Peoples at first, but his art has really grown on me, so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to that. Again, this is part three of four of the Equilibrium storyline. I apologize for referring to it as the finale earlier. I just My research was a little off on that. Um, but that was it for this issue of New Superman. That does it for our comic book coverage. So I'm going to pause for just a moment, and I'll be right back to wrap everything up. And that does it for episode 74 of Truth, Justice, and Hope, a Superman podcast. If you're enjoying the show, if you'd like to show your support, the best way you can do that is to subscribe to my Patreon over at patreon.com slash truth, justice, and hope. Over there, there is a ton of bonus content for patrons. I had, up until just this past week, been doing a read-through of my favorite classic post-crisis Superman stories starting with 1987's Pocket Universe Superboy Saga, and finishing up last week with the epilogue to Reign of the Superman. Starting this week, probably actually probably starting tomorrow, I am going to be recording 30-minute breakdowns 
of 2006's Superman Returns. Um, that has been a request of one of my top patrons over at the show, and I am excited to fulfill their request. And this is my favorite Superman movie. Um, it is, I know a lot of people love the Donner films. Uh, I think this movie is a good homage to those while removing some of the campiness and yet not being as grim as the Snyder movies. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. That'll probably take me, it's like what, a two and a half hour movie. So it'll, and I'm not going like I'm starting from minute one of the movie going to minute 30 of the movie. I'm going how long does, you know, how much of this movie can I talk about in 30 minutes at a time? So it's probably going to take me like at least a couple months to get through it. So this ought to be a lot of fun. Um, other ways you can show the support that doesn't include your wallet is giving me a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. Of course, I'm on Apple, I'm on Stitcher, I'm on Spotify, I'm on Audible, all the places where you can get your podcast. Another way you can help is to follow me wherever you get your social media, Facebook, Instagram, Spoutable, the app formerly known as Twitter, and soon to be Blue Sky. And you can do all that by searching for truth, justice, and hope. Up next week, we are going to talk about the aftermath of the Oz Effect story, which will lead into the Booster Shot story arc, and the actual finale of the Equilibrium story arc in New Superman. I'm looking forward to all of that, and I will see you then. But until then, remember to fight fear at every turn with an open mind and an open heart. Love you.